Who's the happiest person in church today? Amen. Hallelujah. It's good to see you today in the house of the Lord. Man, what a presence in this house today. Amazing worship, amazing presence of the Lord today. And I do confer, concur with uh, Pastor Tina. I believe we're coming into a breakout season. Hallelujah. I, I, believe, I believe that God is going to get the upper hand always. Hallelujah. You can't, you can't stay in, in the wilderness forever. Amen. And I believe God is doing some things behind the scenes. And I just believe that this house, this church, these people, we're about to see some of the greatest victories we've ever seen in our life. I thank all three of y'all. Some of y'all still don't know where you're at. But I believe that God, God is moving significantly in this house. I know, I know the whole the whole COVID thing is just trying to spike again. But you know what? We are the healed of the Lord. We're the healed of the Lord, and and there, there, there's people at home that are part of our fellowship that's recovering from it. They're the healed of the Lord. Hallelujah! It's not going to take us out. Amen. Amen. We're not going to stop gathering. As long as Walmart is going to be open, the church is going to be open. Amen. Amen. When they shut Walmart down, then I'm going to get nervous. Hallelujah. Until then, I'm not nervous. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hey, let me give you a couple things that some of you may, may or may not know, but uh, at the beginning of this year, in 2020, in January, we took on a ministry called Compassion Avenue, where we began to uh, take care of the less fortunate in our area, some of the needy people. And uh, we begin to distribute food to them. Uh, my brother Craig and his wife Sharla has spearheaded it. And we have a whole host of volunteers that help every week. I know uh, Pastor Grace and Pastor Corey has helped a lot with that behind the scenes. And we have a whole host of volunteers that show up every single Monday to make this happen. And uh, I just wanted to take a moment and give you some stats. Guys, if you'll help me, let me just show you a little bit of what we do. These are the stats that, uh, that my brother Craig actually gave to me to, uh, last night. Uh, on an average, this is an average, on an average monthly basis, we have adults that we take care of, about 288. Children are about 206. Seniors, about 116. Uh, Henry County uh, household is about, the total on average of a monthly is about 436 people. Uh, household once a month that came in, maybe once a month or one time was 119. Uh, we give out 2,727 pounds of food every month. Isn't that awesome? And then, uh, then we supplement a little bit more because that, that monthly average, the 2,700 something comes out of Harry Chapin Food Bank there. And then we supplement about $432 each month to help add to that, to help supplement some of the things that they don't, that we don't get through Harry Chapin. But I just wanted you to know that every single Monday we've been giving out, or every single month we've been giving out a little over 2,700 pounds of food to people in our community. And, and, and just, just so you'll know, uh, you know, that, that it takes money to operate that ministry. And not one time this year have we come to you and asked for an offering. Not one time. Not one time. Now, I said that to say this. We need your money. If you feel like giving, you can help support that. You can just give whatever the Lord lays on your heart, on your heart because we, we, we got other donors from the community that don't even come to church here that help give into that, to make that possible. But I just thank God for the opportunity that we have 
to help other people that might be less fortunate. Amen? I think we ought to give God praise. That has gone on all year long. All year long. In, in the midst of COVID and everything, when everything was shutting down, we were still doing food distribution. Amen. How many know the ministry don't stop just because the world stops? Huh? People have, still have needs. People still have things that they got to get through, the basic necessities of life. And this ministry has provided that. This ministry has provided that. So we just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for, some of you have been supporting that, and we just say thank you. God bless you. And just going into 2021, if God puts that on your heart, you can just mark it on, on your, your tithing envelope or however you want to give. There's another way that you can give into that. You know, if it's $5, $10 a month, every little bit helps. And so we just continue to expand that. We want to build a benevolent center. I want to build a benevolent center where we can have food and clothing and just really take care of people's needs. We, I, 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 don't, I don't look for the government to take care of nothing. That's not, the way, that's not the way the kingdom of God was ever established. God uses his people because how many know that what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you? And so I, I'm not looking for the government to take care of people. I believe that's the role of the church. It's the role of the church. So that's, that's our heart. So we want to build a benevolent center where we can have things where people can have need of and when, when they have needs, so we can help meet that. Amen? Hallelujah. Also, don't forget we have our Christmas Eve service coming up on December the 24th. Right here, it'll be a communion service from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock. It's just a one-hour service, and we keep it at one hour because we understand family and everything that's going on. It's a busy time of the year, so it's a one-hour service. And I just want to encourage you, you need to come out. Don't make the biggest thing on Christmas Day Santa Claus. Let's make it about the Lord. Amen? So bring your family. You say, well, you know, my family may not come. Well, just tell them, wait there. We'll be back in an hour. Especially if you got young children, you need to bring them and show them that this is what Christmas is all about. You need to start putting them in an environment that begins to shape them every single every single year. That Christmas is more than just about presents; it's about presence. Amen. So, just we want to encourage you to do that, and then also just a, a late announcement. But uh, today, from 12 to 2 at the John Boy Auditorium. They have the annual uh, Senior Citizen Christmas banquet that's going on there. Uh, I think it's going to be sort of like a drive-through. They're going to host it a little bit different this year, but that's going to go on from 12 to 2. So if you qualify as a senior citizen, some of you have been there before. I've been there before. Not as a senior citizen, but I've been there before to help take part. I'm not quite there yet, although I'm knocking on the door. Hallelujah. But that's going to take place. So uh, uh, you can leave at one minute after 12 today. To get there, Amen. We just want to bless that. It's an, it's an amazing. Every year we give to that. We get our church gives to that to help make that possible for the seniors in our area. So that that's going to be taking place today as well. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, are you ready for a little bit of the word today? Come on, stand to your feet this morning. Grab your Bibles while you're getting ready to turn to your scripture today. I just want to say happy birthday to my youngest daughter, Vanessa. Today's her birthday. bless her today. I think she turned 20, 29. Yeah, almost. Karen and I started having babies when we were 13. And so we're pretty young today. 
We hold our age well. We're like black. We don't crack. <laughs> I'll tell you, I had a guy call me a while back. He said, well, you poor old white people, y'all just age horribly. I said, well, man, thank you for the encouragement. <laughs> and he was among a good black brother, friend of mine, and he said, well, you got to be like me, man. We don't crack. Praise the Lord. I feel like we're coming into the, um, we're, we're just a couple Sundays away from the end of the year. We got one more Sunday before Christmas, and then we have one more Sunday after Christmas. And um, I've been in this, this rhythm here of preaching and just really trying to edify and push the church in the dimension that I believe that God is calling us into. I mean, how many of you know that you shouldn't preach to where people are? You should preach to where people need to be. And so, so we've been preaching, I've been preaching, and just and, and held to a certain level of a series just to push the church a little bit further down the road. And I do believe we're coming at to the end of this year, and I do believe with Pastor Tina, I do believe there is a significant season that is upon us where things are going to be begin to grow and expand on an exponential level. And but that's not going to happen in a dead church. That's not going to happen in a struggling church. And, and, and I, I do want to say this. This is a testimony report. We're at the end of the year, and we have lost no momentum. We haven't lost any momentum. No momentum. And, it, and it's been a challenging year. Personally, for me and my family, it's been, it's been the most challenging year of my life. And it you know, apart from COVID and just the natural circumstances, we've, it's just been challenging with our personal families with some of the losses that we've, that we've had to go through this year. But in the midst of that, God's been good. And, and God has kept this church. And God has moved us forward. And uh, we're not retreating. We're taking ground. Amen. So this morning, I just want to release this last, this will be really like my last message of the year, we'll do a Christmas thing next Sunday in a, in a way that, just the way we do it, but, and then we'll have one more service at the end of the year, last Sunday of the year, but, but this will be the last series of messages, and so, so if you'll just let me try to get this out, we've been in this series that we've been in, and I just want to get this last little thought out, will that be all right? Can I just kind of push this into the atmosphere of our hearts and just believe God to do something, amen? Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 5. And this is speaking about Moses and the flood. I mean, uh, Noah and the flood. And uh, this is it's, it's the culmination of everything that was about to take place. So in Genesis 6, verse number 5, is where we're going to pick up our reading. And then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that the every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things on, and, the, and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor. One translation says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
And these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his time. That word time is the word generation. Noah was righteous and he was blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. What a powerful testimony. And Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of, the sight of God and the earth was filled with with violence, which is the same word for lawlessness. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark, a gopher wood, and you shall make the ark with rooms and you shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it or this is how you shall build it. The length of the ark will be 300 cubits, which is about 450 feet long, and its breadth will be 50 cubits, which is about 75 feet wide, and its height will be about 30 cubits, which is about 45 feet high. Verse number 17, behold, I am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons and your wives with you. Verse number 22, and thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Chapter 7, verse number 1, then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and your household. Don't have time to preach on all this, but I'm telling you, there is a generation that's going to rise that's about to get all their household into safety. Their household's going to come into safety. That, that, that Literally, they're going to come into deliverance. They're going to come into salvation. You and your household, for you alone, for you, for you alone, I have seen to be righteous before me in this generation. It's important how you live. It's important how you live. Now, let's just go over here real quick to Hebrews. This is uh, just to sign off on it here today. Hebrews chapter 11. It's the Hall of Faith chapter. just want to read from one, one little verse here, but it just pulls it all together for us, and then we'll work on it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 7, it says, And by faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence or godly fear, he prepared or built an ark for the salvation, and I'm just going to say it this way, for the salvation of his family. What you build is important to your family. What you build is important to those that are close to you. He built it for his whole household by which he condemned the world and he became the heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. We've been talking about over the last several weeks history belongs to the awakened. I believe there is an awakening, anointing 
that's moving through the earth. And there's some history makers that's about to make history with everything that's in contact with them. I needed you to push on about three people and tell them, I just want you to know you're standing next to a history maker. I just want you to know that. Just tell them, I want you to know. I just want you to know. In case you don't know it, you're standing real close to somebody that's about to make history. You're standing real close to somebody that's about to be awakened in the realm of the Spirit. And we're going to see the power of God. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning we thank you. Thank you today, Lord, that your presence has already been tangible. Thank you today, Lord, that you've already been moving in this house. Thank you for already touching people's hearts, touching our lives today. And Lord, I just pray today, Lord, as we gather together over the word of God, Lord, I thank you for the word of the Lord today. Holy Spirit, I thank you today that you're the preacher, the teacher, you're the revelator, you're the communicator of all truth. Thank you today for what you're going to do in, in the hearts of men and women's lives, not only those in this building, but those that are listening by way of radio or those that are on the internet live. Lord, we thank you today for touching hearts and lives all over this place today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen and amen. God bless you this morning. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. In our text today, we see and we find and we locate Noah where he finds himself living in what has become a very dark and difficult time. He's uh, living in some very dark and difficult days. Uh, the entire earth, as he has known it, has become full of sin. It's become full of evil, and the whole earth was corrupted. The culture of the earth had become so vile and so godless and so evil to the point that God had literally put a sentence on the earth that had an expiration date. He said, my spirit won't always strive with man. I'm going to put an end to everything that I have created. The Bible says, we read it in our text, that the heart of man and the imagination of mankind was so wicked that no good could be found anywhere in the earth. It's a pretty dark day when you can't find good nowhere. It's, it's, it's a pretty pretty uh, dismal day when no good can be found anywhere, not in your city, but on the planet. That's a pretty dark day. This means that there was not one aspect of man's nature that had not been corrupted by sin. Every aspect of mankind's nature had been infiltrated by sin. There was no order and there was widespread corruption everywhere. Sounds like the 21st century. Uh, wickedness, this is what uh, David Goose said in his commentary. He said, wickedness, as it is the shame of human nature, is the ruin of human society. When wickedness begins to prevail, it's the ruin of human existence. It's the ruin of human society. If your conscience is gone and there's no longer the fear of God and the fear of God is gone, men, mankind become beasts and they become devils to one another fighting and devouring each other. When there's no longer a healthy fear of God, wickedness is about to prevail. And we see that even in our culture. We see that in our generation. 
there is no longer any fear of God in our culture. It's like there's, there, there's no sense of reverence towards the things of God. When I talk about the fear of God, I'm not talking about being afraid of God. I'm talking about a holy reverence that he is God. And, and, and we have lost that not only in the sense of society, but in many cases we lost it in the church. We've lost our fear of God. And when you lose your fear of God, your conscience becomes seared like a hot iron. That's what the Bible teaches us. And so you find out that mankind becomes more wicked and more wicked and more wicked to the point that there is no longer anything left on the planet other than sin going unchecked. Let me show you a scripture here. I'm going to preach this thing in a minute. Just let me work it out just for a moment. Look with me in Matthew, Matthew 24. I'm going to just lay a little bit more foundation so that I can get to where I need to go. Matthew 24, verse number 37. I think that's where I want to go. It talks about Jesus is saying, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in the days of Noah, before the flood, before the flood they, were, they were eating and they were drinking, marrying and giving into marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so that it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it will be in these days. Now, I'm not here to preach on the end times. I'm not an end time preacher. I'm not one of those kind of guys. Somebody said, do you believe we're living in the last days? We're living in your last days. <laughs> These are your last days, whether you believe it or not. These are your last days. And, I, and I'm, not, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not an end-time preacher. I'm not saying that the coming of the Lord is soon. I'm not saying it's far away. I'm just saying when that eastern sky cracks open, I'm going to be ready. That's all I know. I'm gonna be, when I hear the horn blow, I'm going to be ready. Are you mid-trib, post-trib? I know I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna be out of here. That's what I know. I just. I just don't want to hang around with the rest that get left behind. That's all I know. But 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 you, you don't have to look far to know that evil has increased, and you don't have to look far to even to begin to think that are we approaching as it were in the days of Noah. In other words, the conditions of the world before Jesus comes back. The conditions of the world will look like the days of Noah before the flood. Let me give you a couple of things to look at on the screen. There's going to be, this has happened in the days of Noah. There's going to be the exploding of population. It happened in the days of Noah. It's happening right now. I started to take time to give you all the stats, but it's just going to bog us down for a little bit. There's going to be sexual perversion. This is the way it was in the days of Noah. This is the way it's going to be now. There was more demonic activity in the days of Noah. You have to know that there is more demonic activity manifested ever before in our generation. It's no longer hidden. It's no longer in the back rooms of something. Now we, got, we, we, have, we have people in government that are demonically filled with demonic spirits who have an agenda to pervert people. And it's not hidden about it. They're open about it. There's more witchcraft in places of authority than there's ever been. And they're not hiding it. <laughs> there's going to be constant evil in the heart of man. This is the way it was in the days of Noah. And there's going to be widespread corruption and violence. How many would believe 
or agree that that's going on right now. That's going on right now. I'm just setting you up to take you somewhere. That's going on right now. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the coming of the Son of Man or when the Lord begins to come back. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how close we are to the end times, but I just know we are closer now than we've ever been. And, 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 but, but I'm saying all that to say this. The people of that day in Noah's day had become so comprehensively corrupt that evil was being manufactured at the highest possible level to the point that God would no longer shield them from his judgment. When wickedness becomes general, universal ruin is not far off. When, when you have uh, widespread wickedness, you just need to know that God is not always going to turn his back to it. God, God is not always going to walk away from what is going on. God has his eye with what's going on. But in the midst of the corruption, here we go now. In the midst of all the corruption, in the midst of all the lawlessness, and in the midst of the widespread evil, the Bible says that Noah found some favor in the eyes of God. In the midst of a corrupt world where no good could be found anywhere, Noah found some grace. Noah found the ability to live for God in the midst of a corrupted society. Noah found the ability to walk with God and become blameless in his walk. That begins to point us to a better picture, ladies and gentlemen. I don't care how bad it gets around you. I don't care what it looks like around you. You still don't have a license to give in to the cultural demands of what the world is trying to put on us. There is enough power in God that resides in us to say no to sin and I don't care if everybody on my block is having a, 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 a sin party. I'm not going to be involved because the, the Bible says that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So, so, so Noah didn't earn grace. He found it. It's a big difference. He didn't earn grace. He found it. The Bible says Noah found grace. In the eyes of the Lord. He didn't earn it. He found it. How I many of you and I don't earn grace? We find it. <laughs> uh, had it not been for the Lord on my side, I don't know where I would be. I, I found God in the midst of all the craziness. How I many know that? How I many know that people say, well, I finally, I, I fi I fi I'm finally going to give it up and let God take over. Listen, God has never not stopped chasing us, but we have to turn around so that we can be tagged. No one can earn it, but everybody has the ability to have access to it. Romans 5.20 says, for where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So Noah was living in a day that was dark. He was living in a day where there was no good, but he found grace. He found favor in the midst of the darkest time in human history. I'm just trying to help the church understand because the church has tried to bleed in with the culture and we need a church that stands out from the culture and says, I don't care how dark it gets out there, there's some light in the house of God. There's some light in the people of God and I can find favor, I can find wisdom, I can find strength. I have an anointing to walk through the midst of a devil's hell and not be plagued by it, not be affected by it, and not be moved by it. 
Come on, push to somebody and tell them you got to be awakened now. You got to be awakened. That's what that's what this is about. See, if you just keep giving into cultural demands, you never you'll never come alive for Jesus Christ. So 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 we understand that that that, that he, he's living in this time, and, and what makes him exceptional is that he walked with God in the midst of darkness, which is a prototype that every believer ought to be carrying. I hear it all the time. Well, it's just hard. It's harder without God. <laughs> In a culture that had totally rejected God, that had become so vile and so demonically induced, Noah was righteous, Noah was blameless, and Noah was walking with God. Wow. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I want to say to this younger generation that's struggling to, to, to serve God in the midst of your peers who always feel like the peer pressure is dragging you down, Noah lived in the greatest peer pressure that any society could ever live in. Nobody was righteous. The whole earth was corrupt. There wasn't nobody on Noah's side. But yet he found favor in the eyes of God. In other words, he eliminates our excuses for walking in integrity with God. Can't find no help in this Holy Ghost Church right now. So the understanding to our day is that you can be surrounded by evil. You can be surrounded by a culture that is full of sin and darkness, where darkness is prevalent, but you can be righteous. What does righteous mean? It means being right standing with God. Was Noah a perfect man? Not by, not by any chance. But he was walking with God. Was Abraham a perfect man? No, but he was known as the friend of God. Was David a perfect guy? No, but the Bible says nobody had a heart after God more than David. It's not about being perfected. It's about having a heart for God. So, so when the word of the Lord came, I'm going to preach it in a minute. Y'all don't check out on me. I'm going to preach this thing. I'm telling, I'm gonna, you'll be throwing chairs in a minute. So, so you get... Noah gets the word from the Lord, and then for the next 120 years, he starts preaching. He starts preaching to a generation that has, wicked, that has become so wicked and vile. So for 120 years, he, say, he stays faithful to his assignment. He stays faithful to his consecration. He stays faithful to his devotion. He had a devoted life. Do you have a devoted life? I know you have a Facebook life. I know you have an Instagram life, TikTok life. Huh? If we checked your phone today, I promise you, you got hours on Facebook, social media. And if we checked your biblical library, you have no time in the Word. It, I lost all, everybody, just, everybody got mad just like that. It ain't my fault, that's your fault. Huh? And, and we wonder, we wonder why corruption invades the house. We wonder why sin gets into the house. We wonder why we become influenced by a culture that we're called to deliver. 
There has to come a time in our life where we are more devoted to God than we are anything else on this planet. There comes a time in our walk with God that my devotion is for God more than anything else on this planet. And I don't want to mess everybody up, but my number one priority on this planet is not my wife and it's not my children. It's the Lord my God, then my family, then and so on. But when I get that out of order, when I begin to change the order of God, then my life gets out of sync with the things of God and the next thing you know I am bleeding in with the culture I begin to look more like what I'm called to deliver than standing out and being something different that can deliver something that needs to be delivered come on tell somebody history belongs to the awakened so here we go now so for the past 50 years or so and I'm just putting up this is my, my numbers these are not statistics for the past 50 years or so Christianity in America has done more to fit in the American culture because we have lost our power to influence it. So when we don't have power to influence it, we start agreeing with it. And the reason why the church is not alive, the reason why the church is not awakened, because we don't have the power to change anything, but there's an anointing. I'm trying to help us today. There's an anointing that God wants to release back into the body of Christ that puts a distinction among us so that people don't have to wonder who you are. They don't have to wonder where you go. They don't have to wonder what kind of God you serve. There's a light on the inside of you that's burning brighter and brighter and brighter. So we have to be careful. This will be on the screen for you. We have to be careful that we don't try to fit into what we've been called to deliver. You have to be careful. You have to be careful. You have to be careful. If not, you're going to lose your ability to watch this now to bring your household to safety. You are not responsible for the world, but you are responsible to those in your house. I don't have, I don't have, if God gives me the grace to reach the world or whatever, praise God for that. If God gives me the grace and the ability to speak and proclaim and to win others to Christ, praise God for that. But at the end of the day, the number one priority of my life is not everybody else's house, it's my house. If I can get my house in order, I can get other people's houses in order. That's why God said, I wouldn't judge nothing in the earth until I first judge my house. Judgment comes to the house of God before it comes to anybody else's house. So, so this will be on the screen. So Noah built something he knew nothing about to survive what he had never seen. Whew. Sometimes, the Bible says, by faith, Noah built an ark. How did he do it? He did it by faith. By faith, Noah believed God. By faith, it was accredited to him as righteousness. He just believed God in the midst of the craziness. How did he do it? He did it by faith. Faith is the ability to believe. It's that invisible confidence within you that something exists other than what you presently see. So by faith, he began to trust in the God that whatever God said to him, he had enough faith in God that even though I don't have the skill level, even though I don't have the manpower, even though I don't have the tools, I don't have the equipment that I need, I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to trust you on your word, God. My word is not at stake. Your word is at stake. What's at stake in my life is the integrity of my life to be obedient. 
So Noah stepped out in faith and began to believe God in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the worldliness, when everybody was making fun of him, when everybody was poking at him. How many know that sometimes when you start believing God, faith will have to just look silly? <laughs> sometimes you just have to look silly doing what you know to do until the rain begins to fall. You got to look silly. You got to look silly declaring, I'm the healed of the Lord, and you got a COVID-19 curse on you. You're going to look silly when you say, I'm the healed of the Lord. P people have already said some things to me. Y'all are crazy for gathering in that house. You're crazy for going to Walmart. You're crazy. Don't you know that? Listen, we know that COVID exists. Well, I'm, I'm just picking on COVID because everybody's got their mind on it. We put in $17,000 worth of systems in here. Uh, Chris and his company did. Uh, what do you call it? Halo, Ream Halo, to help kill the virus. We take precautions. But at the end of the day, I'm not walking in the fear of a curse that's already been broken by the authority of Jesus Christ. And I don't do that because I'm bigger, better. I do that because I have faith in a God that has already overcome the conditions of this planet. And I'm not putting my trust in men. I'm not putting my trust in horses. I'm going to trust in the name of the Lord. Whose report are you going to believe? I believe the report of the Lord. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. Somebody said, what do you believe? I believe God. Well, how do you believe God? I just believe God will do what he said he would do. God would move where he said he would move. God would feel what he said he would feel. God would heal what he said he would heal. God would bless what he said he would bless. So I just believe God. Believe God. I believe God in the height of everything. And sometimes you just have to look silly believing God. Ezekiel looked silly prophesying to dead bones. Sometimes you just got to look silly walking in the middle of a graveyard and say, bones come back to life. Sometimes you got to look silly, Esther, going into the king's chamber without an invitation. But you know you can't sit here until you die. You can't sit here when the whole nation is at stake. You just say, if I die, I die. But I got to be moving in the direction that my faith has positioned me to receive. You got to move in it. You're going to look crazy. You're going to look silly, Peter, stepping out of a boat on a stormy night. But you just got to be silly while you're walking on water and everybody else is talking about you. I'd rather be talked about doing something for God because whether you do it or not, you're still going to be talked about. Come on, push on somebody and say, history belongs to the awakened. Come on, Naaman. Naaman, you got leprosy. Naaman even challenged it with a, with a little servant girl. He said, "Why?" And she said, "She said the Lord says you got to go to the to the muddy Jordan River and you got to dip seven times and you're gonna be healed." Naaman says, "Why do I got to go to the muddy Jordan? Are not the rivers of Farfar and uh, and uh, what was the other one? Whatever, Farfar and something. There was another river in there. I just lost. The, uh, totally left my mind. But there was two rivers. And he said, "Why can't I go to one of them?" 
because Abarna, Farfa and Abarna, why can't I go to one of those rivers? They're much cleaner than the Jordan. She says, well, if the Lord would ask you to do a hard thing, would you not have done it? But since he asked you to do an easy thing, now you're going to fight over it. So he went into the muddy Jordan River, and he dipped seven times with leprosy, but on the seventh time, he came up as smooth. His skin was smooth as a baby's skin. Sometimes you just got to look silly in the midst of the chaos. You got to look silly in the midst of the craziness, but my faith is drawing me to something bigger. I look crazy. People think you're crazy anyway. And we, we got this thing, I, I think Pastor Tina said, we, we live in a world where you got to be politically correct. You don't want to offend nobody. We live in a world where men want to wear dresses. Y'all ain't got to say nothing. The quieter you get, the harder I hunt. I learned that a long time ago. Where where, 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 where the church wants to compromise the foundational truths that made us distinct instead of believing God in the midst of the awkwardness and say we're going to believe God. So you got to look silly. Noah's building something that everybody is laughing at. Everybody in his world is criticizing, looking ridiculous. But his goal was not to be accepted or to be liked. Think about it. Your goal in life is not to be accepted. Your goal in life is to please God. Faith has one aim. It only has one aim. Faith has only one aim. You can say, well, I'm, going, I'm, I'm aiming for a car. I'm aiming for a house. I'm aiming for a boat. I'm aiming for a bigger house. I'm aiming for a husband. I'm aiming for a wife. You can aim it for whatever you want to aim it to. But faith has one aim, and that is to please God. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. God don't give your faith for no other reason but to please him. So when Noah got his orders from God, he wasn't trying to be politically correct. Can you imagine him building something he's never built and people walking by, what are you building? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? I don't know. God said build an ark. I'm going to make it 450 feet long. What's it going to do? Well, it's supposed to float when the rain comes. Well, what is rain? We've never seen rain. Well, it's some kind of water system that falls from the sky, and it's going to flood the earth. You mean you live, and you're going to build a boat that's hundreds of miles away from the nearest body of water, and you believe it's going to rain so much water, it's going to fall from the sky so much that your boat is going to float, and it's going to get higher than the mountains? That's what God said. That's what I'm going to do. You are crazy. You've lost your mind. Maybe so but I'm going to build something for my family. I'm going to build something for a generation to come. And I know people that just like, well, you know, did you hear what they said about me? I put this on Facebook and they made a comment. Well, you shouldn't have put it on Facebook. Well, I don't like the way they said that. <laughs> I know. I, now y'all picking on me. Suck it up, buttercup. Just suck it up. You're living in a real world with real devils. You're living in a real world with real demons. And they don't care about you. They don't like you. They're not going to try to be your friend. Your job is not to be accepted. Your job is to obey God that somebody can see something different and pull them towards the things of God. 
so that when my life is in chaos, when my life is filled with turmoil, there's grace in the eyes of God. I can find grace in the eyes of God. When there's sin and evil and wickedness, I can find grace. <laughs> He's building something. An attempt to please God, Noah becomes this history maker. And, and I, I was thinking about it here a while back, a couple weeks ago. And, and Noah was added into the Hebrews Hall of Faith. He got in there in, in chapter 11, verse number 7. It says, by faith Noah built. And, and I got to think about that because then it goes on, and, and God specifically puts these words in it, for the saving of his household. Really what makes Noah a hero in my book is he got his family on board. That's what makes him a hero. He got his family on board. What profits a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Got his family on board. That ought to be a trigger for every man in this house. Every man in this house. Make sure you get your family on board. You can't get your family on board if you're compromising. He built what nobody else could understand. And he looked like a fool until the water started rising. Hmm. When the water, I guess, it came up from the earth, the caverns of the deep started giving it up first, and then it began to fall from the sky. I guess it looked like a fool until the evidence of what he said was going to happen for 120 years. Sometimes you just got to keep saying it. Well, I believed God for 120 seconds, and I didn't get it. Well, I tithed, tithing once. Didn't work. <laughs> You're pretty faithful, ain't you? Got to be consistent. The Bible says Noah was blameless. In other words, Noah had integrity. He had integrity with God. It's not so much that gets me that Noah could trust God. It's the fact that God could trust Noah. I can trust God, but boy, it's another thing when God puts his trust on me. Come on, Job. That's what, that's what God told Satan when Satan said, hey, I went all over the earth looking for somebody to mess up. I couldn't find nobody. He said, well, have you considered my servant Job? It's one thing when you brag on God, but it's another thing when God starts bragging on you. <laughs> he said, have you considered my servant Job? He's a righteous man in all the earth. Ain't none like him. Satan said, yeah, I tried him, but you put a hedge around him. God said, that's right. I take care of my people. Satan said, if you'll take that hedge down, I'll strike him and he'll curse you. God said, I got much, I got a whole lot more faith in him than you do. God took the hedge down and the enemy attacked him. And the Bible says, and all this Job did not sin with his lips. Woo! Talk to me in here. Wouldn't it be awesome if if a generation in the church would rise that begin to carry the integrity of God in their hearts to the point that it didn't matter what I was walking through, I'm not going to curse God. I'm not going to leave God. I'm not going to push God to the side, but I'm going to stay committed to his ways. There's a guy, this is, how many were here on Tuesday night prayer meeting? Just raise your hand. The, the, the Tuesday night crowd got a peep show of this, and, uh, and I don't want nobody to be offended about what's about to be said because I know you know, people in church get offended pretty easy, and I don't want to offend you, but, um, but there was a guy by the name of Lewis Morris, 
who was born on April the 8th, 1726. Uh, he was an American landowner and a, and a, de and a developer. Uh, he was from New York, from, from the Bronx County there of New York. Lewis Morris was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He was one of the delegates of the Continental Congress from New York. And in 1776, right before he signed the Declaration of Independence, he was warned by his brother, Stats Morris, who was a general in the British Army. They were fighting him. They were about to get into a fight. And he was warning, Stats was warning his brother, Lewis, who was an American developer. You don't want to sign that declaration. In fact, the British at that time called it the rebellious document. You don't want to sign that rebellious document. Because if you do, it's going to cost you possibly your life. It's definitely going to cost you everything that you hold. But it's probably going to cost you your life. Here he is standing. There's 55 signers of the Declaration of Independence. And Lewis Morris is one of those that has been summoned and assigned to sign it. And the threats are coming. If you sign it, you'll probably lose your family. If you sign it, you're probably going to lose your land. You're probably going to lose your business. And you're probably going to lose your life. And this is the response that Lewis Morris had. And this will be on the screen for you. This is where I don't want to lose you. But he said, damn the consequences. Give me the pen. Damn the consequences. I know some of y'all just got hair lit because you think I'm cussing. Damn the consequences. Give me the pen. In other words, what I'm fighting for is bigger than a piece of property. What I'm fighting for is bigger than even my life. I'm fighting for a generation that can come after me, and I'm just damn the consequences. If I die, I die. I'm going to give me my faith. Give me, my give me the, 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 the whereabouts to sign the paper and let the world know I don't care what happens to my life. I'm going to sell out for the things that I believe are right with God. Amen. Amen. I started to say, look at your neighbor and tell him, damn the <laughs> And just, just so y'all know, I'm not trying to cuss. <laughs> that word damn literally means in old English, it literally means, even in new English, it means to condemn something or to bring disapproval. So he wasn't trying to use it as a cuss word. I tell you, I've been walking around all week, damn the consequences. And I don't have a problem with cussing. Never, I've never, I, I, I like cuss like, like you can count how many times I cussed on one hand. I'm just not a cusser. I've never been. My mom beat that out of me when I was like two. <laughs> never had a problem with it. Never had it. Never. So I, I've never been a cusser, but, but I've, I've been walking around all week. Lord, I hope, this, I hope this means I'm just condemning. I'm just condemning it. I'm just condemning. I'm not cussing. But damn the consequences. I'm telling you, when will the church get enough backbone in them to say back to the devil, damn the consequences. If you're going to attack me, I'm going to go for God with everything I got. You put something on my family, I'm going to hit you with everything I got. Give me my faith. Give me my prayers. Give me my conviction. Give me my anointing. Give me the ability to stand in the midst of a chaotic society and believe God. 
we need some history makers in this time. We need people who will stand and accept the challenges of our day and say we're going to believe God. Talk about me if you have to. Ridicule me if you like. I don't care. At the end of the day, if I get my family on board, my assignment is complete. Amen. Can I just say this to you? I refuse, and I know many of you do too, but I refuse to be quiet in a loud world. When the world don't have no problem communicating their values, I'm not going to have no problem communicating my values. And you're not going to silence me just because you think you can intimidate me. See, when you live in a culture that doesn't reinforce our values, then you need to get loud. You need to get loud in your faith. History is made by those who have an understanding of the things to come. Noah being warned by God of things to come built an ark. He saw something coming. So he prepared something bigger. There are people all around. Do you know there are people all in this community that's waiting on the church to come alive? There's people that you work with every day that are waiting on you to become awakened. And the moment you become awakened, you start attracting people into your circle. But as long as you are agreeing with the non-nonsense, proverbial language of the world, and you start agreeing with it, then you lose your ability to influence it. Write these down real quick, and then I won't have to close. It's 11.54. I need to go. But let, write these down. Quest, uh, here's some questions that every history maker needs to be asking that can alter the next season of your life. Number one, who, you, who will you have to be that you've never been if you're going to be a history maker? Who will you have to be that you've never been? Number two, what will you need to do that you've never done if you're going to be a history maker? Noah built something he knew nothing about. Who will God need to be in your life that he's never been before? And can I just say, if God's not first, he ain't nothing. He ain't nothing. There can only be one first. There can only be one first. If God's not first, he ain't nothing because he ain't going to compete with nothing. He's the priority over it all. If God's not first in your life, then where is he? Number four, who is your next level of company that you need to surround yourself with that carries the right information and environment that will stimulate your growth? Huh? I mean, you can't hang out with Pookie Nanny. <laughs> Trying to find a guy's name that some, I don't know nobody in here. I'm just like, uh, uh, Leroy, you can't hang out with Leroy. I pray there's no Leroy in here. You can't, can't, you can't hang out with those guys. Well, they just my buddy. Listen, I got, I got tons of friends. I grew up in this city. This is my backyard. I grew up right here. I know a lot of people in this city. A lot of them are my friends, real close friends. A lot of them ain't serving God, but they don't influence me. I'll eat a hamburger with them, and I'll go shoot a hog with them, but I ain't going to go to the club with you. Talk to me up in here. There's got to be a distinction. And, and you have to surround yourself with a good amount of healthiness 
not perfect people, but healthy people in the Lord. Listen, if, if, I, if, I, if I get down, I don't want nobody that wants to compete with me on how low we can get. <laughs> how low can you go? I don't want nobody like that. I, I want somebody that can walk up to me and say, son, get your act together. Straighten yourself up. I'm going to pray over you, and I'm going to believe the strength of God to come back in you and just pull me back up, yank me back up by the neck of my collar, and just say, get back up on your feet and keep swinging. <laughs> Let me just say this. This will be on the screen, I think, guys, if I gave it to you. God is not trying to get us to reclaim the culture. He's trying in this hour to reclaim the church. He needs a church that can stand courageous in the pressures of our culture and not compromise our message. Martin Luther, the great Martin Luther, said this. This will be on the screen, too. He said, though we be active in the battle, if we're not fighting where the battle is the hottest, we are traitors to the cause. Got to be fighting where it's the hottest not I'm just a traitor to the cause in Revelation chapter 3 Jesus told the church at Sardis he says you got to wake up and you got to strengthen what remains see the problem with the church in Sardis is that they began to struggle with the culture that they were called to win and they became like the culture here's the age-old question how much of the culture are we to embrace in order to redeem it how much are we to look like the culture if we're going to change it? Here's the answer, none. Well, you got to identify. The cross is always relevant. The blood of Jesus is always relevant. I don't have to drink a beer with you to identify with you. Well, because I get this thrown back. Well, you know, Paul came, became all things to all men that he might win them. Listen, Paul didn't become gay to win a gay. You don't, you don't trade the truth of God so that you might win somebody over into your camp. You live a righteous life. And we're going to close right here. Come on, Pastor Ford. I, 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 wanna, I just want to share this last historical moment here. The... Um, the church at Sardis had this reputation for being alive, but now they were dead because they had ended up submitting to the culture. It's a very dangerous place. Jesus is addressing this church. He's addressing it through John, who was exiled on the island of Patmos, and, he's, and he said, you got to wake up, and you got to go back, and you got to strengthen what remains. See, the problem with the church at Sardis they no longer saw the world of sin as an enemy. When sin is not your enemy, it becomes your friend. Really, ain't no such thing as a halfway friend. <laughs> well, I halfway like him. What does that mean? See, when you play with sin, Sin plays back for keeps. And see, the church in Sardis 
at one point had this reputation for being alive for the things of God. You can read it in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. They were alive with the things of God. But something happened in their journey with God, and they were no longer alive. And Jesus didn't come back and hammer them for not winning the culture. He was hammering them for agreeing with the culture. We have to be careful. Hear me now. This is, this, this, y'all know I pushed the envelope a little bit around here. I'm going to push it just a little bit right here. We have to be careful with this progressive Christianity stuff. We, we got to be careful that we don't give in to progressive Christianity and we lose historical Christianity. Because progressive Christianity says that the church is out of touch with culture. No, we're out of touch with sin. Progressive Christianity, most of it believes that evangelical churches like ours are toxic. They believe that we are filled with racial injustices. They believe that we are sexism. They believe that we're Islamic phobia. And they believe that we believe in shaming and judgmentalism. That's, that's documented. I'm not making that up. That ain't my words. That's documented. That's what progressive Christianity believes about the evangelical church in America. And their goal is to rid the church of those ideas and say to us, so that we would cultivate a more compassionate, inclusive culture form of Christianity. Let me say it like this, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody is welcome to the cross. Everybody. But when you have an encounter with Jesus, you're supposed to leave and start a journey that looks different than the way you came when you got there. When you leave, you're not the same. And if you stay on that journey, you don't remain the same there. You keep progressing towards the things of God. Now watch, I'm saying all this because if we lose our historical value, if we remove the ancient landmarks, if there's nothing to go back to, Paul said to the church in Galatia, he said, you were running well, but what got in the way what hindered you what stopped you this is where I don't want nobody to, I'm just I'm, I'm trying to work it because I don't want you to misunderstand me because the time is gone and I don't have time to work it all out but if we keep shifting our values based on cultural trends we never become anchored to anything we never become solid to anything and we have to be careful that we don't keep surrendering ground to the view of progressive Christianity this, this is where I want you to hear me in your heart today it's easy for the gospel to get lost in social justice hear me social justice it's not biblical justice. It's not. 
That's a cultural philosophy. That's what it is. It's a cultural idea. The difference between social justice and biblical justice, social justice makes somebody bigger than somebody else. And they put the pressure on everybody, either to conform or to fight. Biblical justice puts us all at the foot of the cross. And there's a generation among us that needs to know social justice at its best is not the gospel. It is not the gospel. And if we're not careful, our churches will take up the cause of social justice rather than a biblical justice that says we're all sinners in need of God's grace. We're all sinners in need of God's power. We're all sinners on a journey. And my goal is not to, to please my fellow mankind. My goal is to serve them and love God. So God is looking for some Noahs. He's looking for a generation that will rise. It says, I, I may look silly serving God. I may look silly believe in God, I may, I, may, I may even be ridiculed and laughed at. I'm just trying to help this generation understand, you're going to have to learn how to take it in this generation. Because our world is not friendly towards churches. And the way our government is going, it is not friendly towards churches. And you just got to understand, you just got to say, there is evil intent. I'm not saying that God can't overrule and overturn. I'm believing God will. I'm believing that the justice of God will be released. But at the end of that, at the end of that, I still don't put my trust in horses or men. I'm trusting in the name of the Lord. And my responsibility is to live a life that's pleasing to God. And it don't matter if you like it or not, I want to please God in spite of your opinion. Come on, get on your feet and give God a praise one time. We got to stop. My faith then, let me, let me go here. Hold on, hold on, hold on, guys. Let me just say this way because we got to go. My faith now becomes, watch, it's not a one-time event. I don't release my faith in church. My faith is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. I live it out. I live it out with those who disagree. I live it out with those who do agree. I live it out in front of those who are not trying to persuade me to do good. I live it out. Live it out. Noah, building a boat, what are you doing? Just obeying God. Just obeying God. For 120 years, he built that boat. And the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 8, he preached righteousness. For 120 years, he preached righteousness. He preached what he was for 120 years. Ladies and gentlemen, the world needs to see what we are. And we need, they need to see it on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a consistent basis. Because history belongs to the awakened. Look at somebody next to you say, you need to be awakened in this generation. Come on, tell them. Tell them you need to be awakened. You need to be awakened. You need to be awakened. And in closing, as we get ready to go, when the rain begin to fall and the water begin to rise,
the only people that Noah could convince after 120 years of preaching righteousness, living a lifestyle before that of 500 years of righteousness, but he could only convince of 120 after, I mean, preaching for 120 years, he could only convince his three sons and their wives and his wife to get on board that boat. That's all. Now that seemed like that would be depressing. If I preached here for 120 years and just my family got saved, I would rejoice, but like, really? But you know what? It didn't deter him. Because I bet you when the rain started to fall and the door was closed, not by Noah, but by the hand of God, because there are some doors that God will shut that nobody can open. And when God shut the door, I bet you his family were saying, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy, for hanging on. Thank you, Daddy, for fighting that fight of faith. Thank you, Daddy, for putting that legacy down on the inside of me. Thank you, Daddy, that I'm not outside trying to survive, but I'm in the safety of the arms of God. Thank you, Daddy, for fighting. Thank you, Daddy, for believing. Thank you, Daddy, for standing for truth. Thank you, Daddy, for not compromising. Thank you for standing in the midst of chaos and confusion. I just want to know, is there a generation that can become awakened to the point that people around you can say, thank you. Thank you for doing. Thank you for living. Thank you for being the man or woman that God called you to be. Come on, lift your voice and lift your hands. We're going to go. We Come on, give him. Stop until we see it. We declare that we won't stop until we see it. We prophesy that we won't stop until we see it. We strike the ground. We won't stop until we see it. Say we won't stop. We won't stop until we see it. In this generation, we Susie's going to close us out. There's something that the, the elders wanted to do today. But before we do that, I want you to find somebody around you. Just find somebody. Pick them out. Eyeball them in the eye and say, it only takes one to change history. Come on, just tell them. It only takes one. It only takes one. It only takes one. It only takes one. Come on, Noah. It only takes one. It only takes one. Can you be the history changer in your family? It only takes one. There may be years of chaos and backlash in your family, but it only takes one to break the curse. It only takes one to break the bloodline. It only takes one to believe God. Come on, if you're going to be the one, throw your hands up and give God a praise and declare, I'm going to be the one.